This is what this is saying here. Those who grab God's word and they cling to it. It doesn't matter how hard, it, it doesn't matter who's pulling on that bag. If you want it bad enough, you're holding on to it. It doesn't matter how hard culture pulls on the word of God. It doesn't matter how hard your neighbor, doesn't matter how hard the spirits pull on you, try to rip this away from you. You got to cling to God's word. It says cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. So the kind of life that produces the fruit of the spirit is the person who is listening for the word of God, is receptive to the word of God, is submitted to the word of God, and patiently waits for the harvest to be revealed. So in the growing of fruit, much of what takes place is out of sight. Beneath the surface, barely detectable. So what you're seeing when you plant something, you plant a seed, if you're anybody in here who's, uh, if you garden at all, you know, if you plant something underground that you don't plant, that you don't plant the beans and you don't, you don't walk out the next day and it's just fully grown and you're pulling beans off, right? No, you plant it, you have to make sure it has water. You got to, first of all, you got to make sure you cultivate the ground first. You can't just walk out and toss it. So I hope that works. But no, you've got to make sure you till it up, right? You got to make sure that it's it's fresh and good soil that you plant in. And then you got to make sure it gets water. It's got to have what it needs to grow. So it's the same thing with us. We have to make sure that we allow ourselves what we need to grow. Uh, I want to read this to you. This is, uh, uh, Harold Kahn wrote this uh, in The Adventures of Insight. He said, all great things have their roots in silence. And life's most important business is undertaken in quietness. Perhaps this is, uh, this is a chief difference between people of inner culture and those without. He says that the man of great inner development does not need to live in an outward activity distract, that will allow activity to distract him from the unpleasantness of his inner emptiness. A small cup, only one quarter full of water, can be shaken until it makes a big splash. But hold it still. And its near emptiness is revealed. Is this generation's fussy activism and a substitute for awareness of what we are and what we ought to be? Are we keeping so busy that so that we can avoid self-discovery? Listen to that line. Are we keeping so busy so that we can avoid self-discovery? Are we too busy that we don't even realize where we are in our walk with God. I said this a couple of years ago. I was preaching, and the Lord just kind of showed it to me. I was preaching. I was talking about backsliders coming home. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, there's a lot of them that sit in your pews every single Sunday. That you go through the routine. You're so busy in life that you don't even take time. We will avoid looking at ourselves and who we are and where we are with God. If we want to discover our real inner needs, if we want to know what we, really, what we are really like, if we want God's fullness to replace our emptiness, we must learn to bring a daily halt to our frenzied activity and to hold still for a while. The great matters of life may blossom in activity, but they are rooted in silence. I like silence. Anybody else like silence? I, there's some of you that are like, silence is just, silence is louder than a room full of people. 
I know, and I know who most of you are. And then there are some of us in this room, put me in a deer blind, nobody around. See, I know, I know who you are too. And you're just like, oh, peace. Last year I was out deer hunting and uh, it was so quiet, so peaceful. And I could hear the deer coming in. The feeder had went off and I could hear it coming. And I thought, this is it. I was just enjoying the, just the silence. And my phone, start going off. And I was like, really? Who in the world is calling right now? And I looked at it and it said, Bishop Stark. And I was like, hello, sir, how can I help you? There goes that deer. <laughs> you answer when Bishop calls. Yeah, <laughs> I lost that deer, but it's okay. But that silence is nice sometimes because there are times in that silence that you can actually look at yourself and ask yourself, where am I with God? Where am I? Because nobody else knows where you are except for you and God, right? He knows the relationship you have with him, and you know the relationship you have with him. You know if the flesh is ruling your life or if the spirit is ruling your life. Only you know that. So it is in those moments of silence that you can kind of just step away and just disconnect from the world and examine yourself and say, okay, am I right with him? And if he decided to come back today, am I right with him? Do I actually have a relationship with him? So as fruit grows and matures, there are processes taking place beneath the surface, working quietly but working powerfully. The fruit of the Spirit is the natural outgrowth of living God's way. It is what you see. The fruit of the Spirit is that natural growth on the outside that you get to see when you're living the way God wants you to. It is what the Spirit of God produces in us. It is not the result of our spirits or our efforts. Right? It's not our spirit that produces anything. Not the human spirit that produces anything. It's not our efforts. It's nothing we can do. We can't do enough good deeds to get ourselves right with God, right? But it's allowing the Spirit to be active in us and growing in us. So we must understand that there are not natural attributes. So these are not natural attributes, but they are spiritual attributes. So the Greek word used for fruit is singular, showing a unity of these individual characteristics, like a bunch of grapes or the multiple pieces within an orange is one fruit. That the fruit of the Spirit is not like the gifts of the Spirit. I have had people that have been confused on that. Well, what's the difference? The fruit of the Spirit is not like the gifts of the Spirit. So we may only operate in one or two gifts of the Spirit, right? Some of us might say, well, I didn't get that fruit. You know that kindness fruit? Nope, not me. I have some of the other ones, but not that one. Not the patience fruit, not that one either. Joy, um, and now that I come to think about it, God did not gift me with that fruit either, and I'm just not a fruity person. I only got some and not all. That's not how it works. When you have the fruit of the Spirit... You don't get to go shopping and pick which one you want. 
it's all or none. So no, you don't get to blame God for your lack of fruit. He is not withholding fruit from any of us in this room. A lack of fruit is an indication that your soil needs some work. That's what that is. And it's in those quiet moments that you examine your own life and you say, is the fruit there? Is anything growing? Well, if it's not, then something's wrong with the soil. <laughs> something's wrong with right here. You need to cultivate a spirit or a spiritual environment in your life so that, they, that the fruit of the spirit can grow. And, and I've, I've seen this just in my few years of learning how to, trying to learn how to garden. And I noticed last year, especially you know, in some this year too, that there was a moment that we left for like a week and we came back and, and I thought in our garden, like where did all this grass come from? Like we're, we tilled this up, like this is not supposed to be here. Like where did this come from? And, and I quickly realized that if you're gardening, true gardening is that you're in the garden daily getting it before it gets out of hand. Because once it's out of hand, it's kind of hard to get it back, right? And then I also realized that when stuff starts to grow up around the plants, that the, it basically begins to choke the plants out and it cannot produce the way it's supposed to produce. It's the same thing in our life that when we allow things in the flesh to control us, that it begins to grow up around the fruit that we might have present in our life, but before you know it, you're finding yourself in a quiet place and looking at yourself and saying, where did my joy go? Where's my kindness? Where's my patience? Where is all these things that I once had? Well, the weeds of the flesh have taken over and the soil is not producing the way it's supposed to. So let's look here. One, love. Let's look at love. The Greek agape, uh, it's the affection or goodwill, that love that is based on a sincere recognition of the value of the one loved. There are four Greek words used for love, three used in the New Testament. Of the four, agape is the highest expression of love. It is used to refer to divine love. The Christian form of this word means the, uh, the benevolence of love. To love on somebody. And then we'll, uh, I'm going to read this uh, statement here. This says that this means that no matter what a man may do to us by the way of insult or injury or humiliation, we will never seek anything else but his highest good. Now, if you can get to that place in life, I promise you the spirit is operating in you. That someone that does you wrong, insults you, brings injury to you, humiliates you that you want nothing else but good for that person that's praying for your enemies <laughs> praying for those who do you wrong the spirit is activated because i promise you if, if your flesh is controlling you you're not going to respond that way it is therefore a feeling of the mind as much as the heart. It concerns the will as much as the emotions. It describes uh, the deliberate effort which we can make only with the help of God. Never to seek anything but the best, even for those who seek the worst for us. That's the place 
I think we all should strive to be. I sat in the phone yesterday and talked to somebody, and they called me, and just a dear friend of mine who called me, and he said, I, I just, I need some guidance right now. I don't know what to do. People are, are saying things, and, and it's not true, and, 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 and he said, others are, you know, firing back, and, and others are firing back on social media, and then they're doing this and that, and and I said, listen, I said, oh, we are Christians, right? And he said, yes. I said, that means Christ-like. He said, yes. I said, when he was persecuted, spit upon, he had a, a crown placed upon his head. He was beaten. He was, everything that took place to him. What's the Bible say he said? Nothing. He remained silent. I said, so if we are truly going to be Christians or Christ-like, then there's going to have to be those moments where your flesh wants to just, and you know you all have that moment where you just want to rip somebody. You know what I'm talking about. You can admit that because you know you do. All right? Your flesh wants to, but if the Spirit's in control, the Spirit will bind the tongue and bind the flesh and say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. Because all it does, and I, I explained to this individual, I said, and I, I told him, don't go down that route. Don't take that road. Be, be the bigger person than that. You don't have to do that. I said, because the other individuals, when people do that, when we begin to start doing that, attacking people, I said, they're not just doing damage to an individual, but begin to do damage to other people around them and just starts to, just begins to like a domino effect. So there are times you have to just simply remain silent. And that's pleasing to God, I believe. I'm not saying you can't stand up for yourself. Don't get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. I think there are times you can stand up for yourself, especially if someone's going to attack family or attack your, you know, someone's going to attack the word of God, your beliefs. You can be angry and sin not. That's biblical, Right? You just got to make sure we do it right. Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. First uh, Corinthians thirteen thirteen three things will last forever faith hope and love and the greatest of these is love love never fails it is a fruit of the spirit and it is the result of the spirit to have true love in your heart is a result of the spirit being activated in your life Amen. Romans five and five and hope does not put on uh, put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'm thankful for the Spirit and I'm thankful for the love of God that was poured out into my life when I didn't deserve it. You say, well, that person, they, well, they just, they don't deserve my love. You know, they didn't deserve my patience. They didn't de de deserve my kindness. Well, neither did we. Not one person in this room did. You say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Well, neither did you. Neither did I. We didn't deserve it, right? But I also understand that we can't make heaven with unforgiveness in our heart. 
So you have to weigh things out. All right? You have to weigh things out. That we don't deserve it, but yet God poured his love out into my life. He does every day. All right, joy. Let's look here. Uh, That joy, the gladness, uh, specifically referring to the source of joy. It is the virtue in the Christian life corresponding to the secular concept of happiness. So what we would call joy, the world looks at that as happiness. The world thinks of happiness and joy as the same thing. But happiness is not the same as joy. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy does not. That's why during COVID, those who operated on happiness to enjoy life became nasty individuals who just simply wanted to bite everyone's head off. Oh, yes, they did. Did you go to the store during that time? Everyone was on, everyone was on edge. There was, there was, there was division that was taking place. Everyone was angry, and a lot of people didn't even know why. Everyone was just angry. Their happiness was removed because their happiness was based on their circumstances in life, and their circumstances in life had been shaken. Their normalcy had been shaken. They could no longer go to work like they used to go to work. They could no longer go to the store like they used to be able to go to the store. They could no longer have their activities like they used to have their activities. Everything had been changed for everyone in life. So their happiness was removed. So therefore, they lost their happiness and everyone knew it. But those who truly had a relationship with God are consistent in their joy even when the circumstances of life take a drastic turn for the worse. I told you the, the story where I had went into Donkey to get a coffee and, and Ken, who had been here with us in church uh, in the middle of COVID, he turned around and, and he said, he always asked me, what's the good word of the day? And I said, man, God's good. I said, life's good. And Ken just kind of turned and looks at me like, you're crazy, man. And Ken's a believer. He turns around, he said, in the middle of all this, and I said, yeah. Why? Because my joy doesn't come in the circumstances of life, right? Now, we all seek after happiness. We like to be happy. Everybody likes to be happy, right? But I understand my happiness can fade tomorrow when things change, but it doesn't affect the joy in my life. That joy doesn't come from circumstances, but the joy comes from knowing who God is. So it is not the joy that comes from earthly things, but it is a temporary happiness that will only last as long as our earthly possessions do. So the things that make you happy, anybody got anything in here that just makes you happy? You got things that make you happy. I know, Brother Jackie, you got a boat, right? You get on that river, if, it, if it's running the way it's supposed to and things are going and you're just spending time with your family, that boat is making you happy, right? But the reality is if somehow, some way, you hit an iceberg, I'm just kidding, you hit a rock, <laughs> you hit a rock or something and a hole comes in and that thing begins to sink to the bottom, guess what? All that happiness that you had was removed because the earthly possession that brought you happiness was gone. But you could still stand on the bank with your family and say, I still got my joy. 
right? Because my joy doesn't come from earthly possessions. My joy comes from knowing God and knowing him as my savior in my life. So Psalms 51 and 12, let's look at this. This is David's prayer. Repentance after sinning. This is his, his prayer after sinning. He says this, restore to me, not the happiness. He says, restore to me, but the joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. The joy of salvation. If you know salvation, if you've been baptized in his name, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're striving to live that godly life, you're striving to live in the spirit, then there should be a joy inside of you that says, my joy comes from my salvation in the Lord, my walk with him, my relationship with him. That's where it comes from. Salvation is the source of joy. Knowing that our sins are forgiven should bring you joy. Knowing that we are in in the right standing with God should bring you joy. That is the source of joy. Not what, not what's happening to me or in the current situation I'm facing, but I understand this one thing, that life is like a vapor. And knowing that I will spend eternity with my Savior, that's where I get my joy. So I said, I'm thankful for another year. I don't know my time. I don't know when that is. But my, my goal is to make sure that I can reach those around me, get my family in the church, loving God, serving the Lord, serving in the kingdom, and win as many souls as possible. But to make sure that my joy comes from the fact that I know that someday, whether it be soon or whether it be when the trumpet sounds or however it takes place that I get to spend eternity with him that brings me joy in my life that's what brings joy so peace was not simply something let's talk about peace peace um, oneness or quietness we talked about that a little bit earlier rest anybody like rest oh hallelujah you like rest harmony or security or safety or prosperity uh, the joining together of two things that have previously been ripped apart. Uh, so this, this word peace in the Greek is arene. It had two interesting usages that, that we see here that it was used of the uh, serenity which of a country enjoyed under just the, uh, the, the government of a good emperor, a good emperor. And it was used of the good uh, order of a town or a village, villages that had an official who was called the superintendent of the village's arena, basically of the village's peace. It was the keeper of the public peace. Usually in the New Testament, that peace, that this arena stands in the Hebrew of, uh, of shalom or means not, uh, not just freedom from trouble, but everything that makes for a man's highest good. I'd say getting a superintendent of peace, that's not bad. That might be a good idea. Peace was not simply something felt in the mind, but it was a way of living life in a proper relationship between man and God as well as man and man. So if you live in a relationship with God and have peace between you and God, in return you should have peace between you and your brother or you and your sister. There should be peace between you and even your neighbor. Hebrews 12, 14 
says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So holiness and peace work together. Our salvation and our witness depends on us being at peace with others and with God. So understand this tonight. You cannot be nasty with your neighbor that lives on the right and think you're going to be a godly witness to the one that lives on the left. You can't be out mowing the yard and ripping this one's head off because they mowed over your line and they, you think they're trying to take your property from you. Right? They're blessing you. That's all they're doing. Just keep on coming till you mow the whole thing, right? When we bought the church property, I, there was someone up mowing the top hill, the back of the church property one day, and I went out and talked to him introduced myself to him. He was the neighbor who owns 80-some acres next to the church, on the back of the church property. And I introduced myself, and he introduced himself, and he said, can I help you? I said, I was just, just wanting to just see who you were. And um, I said, this, this is the church property. He said, this is the church property? I said, oh, yes, sir. And I said, we just had a survey done. And where's your survey line? So we walked back. He was very nice, peaceful, kind. Walked back, and I showed him the line. And he looked at the line, and he lined it up with the other one down, and he stepped back, and he said, well, I've been mowing someone else's grass for years. <laughs> I said, well, Mr. Cone, if you want to keep doing it, go right ahead. I'm okay with that. But he was so peaceful about it, so kind, and, and even took the boys on a tractor ride. And, you know, that's how it should be with neighbors. I could have went out there and just yelling and said, what do you think you're doing? But it's not, a, it's not a witness because I can't be nasty and confrontational and be a witness at the same time. We can't do that. So you might not agree with the life of your neighbor. And I'm sure you've got some in here that you don't agree with their lifestyle. But that doesn't mean that you can't bring godly peace into the relationship to allow yourself the opportunity maybe someday to be a witness of God's love in their life. Because there are going to be neighbors that you might say, I can never get through to them. But I promise you, there's going to be a moment in their life where they're going to remember how kind you were and how loving you were. And they're going to say, that's the person I want to talk to. That's the person I need right now. The next thing we're going to talk about is patience, long-suffering or forbearance, uh, endurance, uh, slowness in avenging wrongs. It is the quality of putting up with or tolerating others even when one is severely try, tried. That the, important of, the importance of patience is evidenced by its being most often used of the character of God. Thankfully, we serve a patient God, Amen. a caring God, loving God. Generally speaking, the word is not used in patience in regard to the things or the events, but in regard to people. It is the grace of the man who could revenge himself and does not. It is the man who is slow to wrath. And uh, most the, thing, the most illuminating thing about it is that it is commonly used in the New Testament of the attitude of God towards men. In our dealings with our fellow men, we must reproduce this loving, forbearing, forgiving, patient attitude of God towards others and ourselves. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.16 talks about God's patience. It says, but God had mercy on me 
so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Ephesians 4 and 2 says, our, this is talking about our patience with each other. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So this right here, I talked about this a few weeks ago, being patient and being gentle with each other, being kind to each other, uh, being gentle in your words. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about we're getting worried about offending people. I'm just talking about loving people. You speak to them on the level that you love them, Right? Be hard to just rip somebody to shreds with your words that you truly love in your heart. That's true. Right. It says here, making allowance for each other's faults. Not, it didn't say make allowance for those who have faults. It just says each other's faults because we all have them. Why? Because we live in this flesh. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do things sometimes. But it says making allowance for each other's faults because of your Love, the love of God inside of you, that you can give some grace and mercy unto people. All right, kindness. Uh, let's look here. It says uh, kindness, moral goodness, integrity. It is a lot like and closely connected to the next fruit of the Spirit, which is goodness, also translated as sweetness, refers to meaning real needs, meeting real needs in God's way. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy, he used the Greek word, which is krestots. Is he used this word, Greek word kind is what he meant. My yoke is kind. It is kind. Goodness, which is kind. It'll be kind to you. It won't be heavy. It won't be uh, weighing you down. It'll be kind to you. And then goodness, uh, which is related to kindness. We talked about this, that uh, it is, uh, the Greek word for this is agathosun, which means to do good and to be good. Uprightness of heart and in life. A goodness which benefits others, inherently good. Natural goodness as a unique quality and condition. The goodness that comes from God. And we see here that Paul uses this word four times. And it is, uh, it is a biblical word and does not occur in secular Greek. So it is the widest, most encompassing word for goodness. Goodness and kindness go together. Faithfulness. Let's talk about faithfulness. Faithfulness, this talks about um, um, uh, the Greek word is paistis, refers to both faith and faithfulness. It is used a lot in the New Testament. It is belief or trust or confidence or trustworthiness. Uh, it is conviction of the truth and validity of something. It is to be persuaded. It is the faith that is a gift from God and involves revelation. It is the character of one who can be relied upon. I would like to be known as somebody who can be relied upon. Amen. Amen. It is described as great faith. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is the kind of faith that is only possible through the power of the Spirit. So let's continue here in Galatians 5. Jumping back to our scriptures here, Galatians 5.23. Uh, talking about its gentleness, self-control, 
uh, against such things there is no law. So gentleness, the Greek word for this is praotes, and praotes is the most untranslatable uh, of, the, uh, of the words trying to convey meaning in English. It is the New Testament. It has three main meanings in the New Testament. It means being submitted or submissive to the will of God. It means being teachable, not being too proud to learn. One of the greatest things you can be is teachable. If you cannot be teachable, good luck. I promise you, be teachable. I, I used to help teach or coach baseball for one of my boys, and there were boys in that team. You could not tell them anything because they knew everything. I'm like, you're five years old. You haven't even started living yet. All right, you're five. You don't know anything. Let me teach you about baseball. Nope, they knew it all. You couldn't teach them. And there are people there, and this is not, trust me, this is not just five-year-olds. There are adults that you cannot, they don't want to hear what you have to say. You can't, they don't have a teachable spirit. You have to have a teachable spirit. You have to be submitted to the will of God. You have to be teachable and not too proud to learn what God's word says. Most often of all, it means being considerate is what this word means. So it is a certain mildness or a meekness that is uh, in this word gentleness. Uh, Aristotle defined proetes uh, as the mean between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness, the quality of the man who is always angry at the right time and never at the wrong time. The objective form of this word is used of an animal that has been tamed and brought under control. It speaks of the self-control which Christ alone can give. There are several New Testament mentions of the spirit of gentleness or of meekness. And most powerful and appropriate context for this concept is found in Galatians 6 and 1. It says this, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual or led by the Spirit, or having the fruit of the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. The greatest place for your gentleness is to be seen, to be seen or displayed is when someone else does wrong and how you treat them in that moment. To restore them through the same gentleness and kindness and loving careness that, the, that God gives to us when we mess up is the same way we should take an approach to everybody else with gentleness and restore them to where they should be with Christ. Those who are spiritual produce restoration. They restore the fallen and they restore the broken. Those who are carnal produce accusation and they tear down and they destroy. Which category do you fall in tonight? Gentleness is quiet strength. If you're taking notes, you can jot that one down. Gentleness, because a lot of people say gentleness means weakness. Oh, that person's gentle. You ever heard that? A gentle giant. You ever heard somebody say, oh, they're just a gentle giant. That guy, he's just a big old teddy bear. Yeah, I bet that big old teddy bear could throw you across the room if you wanted to. <laughs> All right, you get that quiet person angry, better watch out. <laughs> 
Hallelujah. But gentleness in itself is actually a very quiet strength because it takes a strong individual to, to be gentle. It takes a strong individual spiritually to be gentle when someone maybe does them wrong, but yet they return gentleness to that individual. That's a sign of strength. Proverbs 15 and 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perversiveness therein is a, is a breach in the spirit. This is what the NLT says. Gentle words are a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So let's look here. We're going to talk about self-control now, self-control, um, self-restraint. Uh, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual or sexual appetites. The one who has uh, conquered his love of pleasure. It is the qu uh, quality that gives victory over fleshly desires and which is therefore closely related to self-restraint both in mind and in conduct. It is that great quality which makes a man able to live and to walk in this world and yet keep his garments unspotted from the things of this world. It is, used, it is used of the athlete's discipline of his body and of the Christian's mastery of sexual desires to be able to, to, be able to have constraint, be able to have, uh, be able to have restraints on your fleshly desires, put that flesh uh, under submission to the spirit. That's what we're talking about. That's, this is what we're talking about tonight, that we have the ability to say no to what the spirit wants to do and to say yes to what the, uh, what the flesh wants to do do and say yes to what the spirit says is right Amen. that's where we're all striving to get to to live that life that's why I wanted to teach these lessons to give us this foundation to build upon and say well how do I live that life because a lot of times you know I could get up, get, get up here and preach and say you need to live by the spirit let the spirit lead you let the spirit guide you and you say that's awesome people shout and run the aisles and and then they leave the service and like what exactly did that mean how do I do that? That's why Wednesday nights Bible studies are important. Amen. Because we have laid out, you can't, if you've been here all four weeks, you cannot leave and say, yeah, I'm not quite sure how the gift of the Spirit is in operation in my life or how to have the gift of the Spirit in operation. Now we know. So now if you've been here, we have no excuse. Right? Amen. It is up to us now to say, flesh. You can't control me. Fleshly desires, you can't control me. But God, I submit myself. I submit my life. I submit my ways unto you and unto the spirit because I want to be that individual. I want to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Amen? So Galatians 5.23 says, Gentleness, self-control against such, against such things there is no law. So against such things there is no law. There are laws, both human and divine, that attempt to restrain the works of the flesh, but there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. So there is no need to limit these things is what it's saying. There's no need to limit the good things. You need to limit the bad things in your life, the fleshly things, but you don't need to put limits on the spiritual or the spirit things in your life. Someone said you can't have too much of a good thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe some good things, but you can't have too much of the fruit of the Spirit in operation in your life. You can't have too much kindness. 
right? Can't have too much love. We could all probably use a little more. But I don't think we can have too much of that. I'm closing tonight. Babe, if you want to come to the keys, if you don't mind. Galatians 5, 24 through 25 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that, that's one thing I love in the scripture here. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with its passions and desires. A lot of people try to crucify the flesh but hold on to its passions and desires. You can't pick and choose what you crucify. When you crucify that flesh, you crucify everything about the flesh. With it's Your passions and your desires have to be crucified with it. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Where the Spirit's taking you, where it's leading you, keep in step with the Spirit. Because if you are keeping in step with the Spirit, and where the Spirit is leading, where it's stepping, and you're stepping, and you're going where the Spirit is leading you, when those exit ramps in life come along, and here's the exit lamp, a ramp of desire, here's that exit ramp of lust, here, here's that exit ramp for you just to, to, to gossip about that person and backbite against that, that person and just, and just destroy that individual or destroy their character. Or here, Here's your opportunity. And I promise you that those ramps are going to come. Opportunity is always going to be there. That's why I told the guy on the phone the other day, I said, listen, there was two individuals. One chose to take the ramp. And one called, one called me just for some godly counsel and said, what do I do? And I said, don't do that. Because it's no good to you and you're going to destroy other people. Don't do it. And it's not pleasing unto God. So be able to have that, that self-control to say, okay, where the Spirit's stepping. Now, if the Spirit takes the exit, I'm, leading, I'm following the Spirit. But I don't think you're ever going to find the Spirit leading you into a place that gratifies the flesh. But where you're going to go is you're going to find yourself in a place that, that maybe you haven't been before. And you say, man, this, this feels really good. There's, there's peace and joy in my life again. In, in our home, the atmosphere is just so different. Why? Because you have put the flesh to the side and you said, I want to follow after what God has for me. In order to have the fruit of the Spirit, you ready for this? Here's the key. In order to have the fruit of the Spirit, you must have the Spirit. Anybody received the gift of the Holy Ghost? You got His Spirit living inside of you? Let that Spirit operate in your life. Allow God to be seen in your life. Prayer, fasting, his word. What's the spirit have to say? If you come into a situation, you say, well, I know what my flesh wants to do, but what does the spirit have to say? I want the spirit, I want the, I want the fruit of the spirit to be in operation in this situation. But understand that it is not just enough to be filled with the spirit, but we must also be led by the spirit.
how daily through our daily walk and we must live by the spirit surrendered and submitted to the spirit living by the power of the spirit step in step with the spirit move when the spirit moves doesn't matter how fast it's moving how slow it's moving what direction it's going what the timing of the spirit is whether you like the timing of it or not if the spirit's moving I'm moving if it's standing still I'm standing still if it turns left I'm turning left why? Because I want to make sure that that's what's leading me. That's what I want to do. I want to be synchronized with the Spirit. You ever seen that three-legged race? You ever been a part of one of those? Tie your leg to somebody else's leg? That's been, anybody ever done that? You've done that? I'm sure you have. Now, have you ever been the person that wanted to win so bad that you've completely ignored what this person was trying to do and you got out of sync with them and then you found yourself face planting in the dirt because you thought my goodness they're just slowing us down we gotta go there are times when you when you get yourself tied together with the spirit that you're gonna have to stay synchronized with the spirit and when it says stop you stop and when God says go, you go. And I promise you, that's, that's the greatest thing. How are you going to win the race in life? That's how. You allow who you are, your flesh, to be led by the Spirit. Let's all stand tonight. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There is a transformation through the spirit that enables us and empowers us to do what? Deny the flesh. Only the spirit has the power to deny the flesh. It is through this transformation that we can produce the fruit of the spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want people to see that fruit of the Spirit in my life. Can we just lift our hands all over this place tonight? And I, want, I want you to simply just pray that. God, let me produce that fruit in my life, Lord. God, I pray, let there be within me, God. Let, let, let me produce, God, gentleness, Lord. God, let me produce, oh God. 
self-control in my life, Lord. Let me produce, Lord Jesus, your love, God. God, let me produce out of my life and let people see, Lord, uh, in my life the things that are of you, God. Let them see tonight, Jesus, what it is, God, that you have for me, God. That let, let them see what the Spirit has done in my life, Lord. God, let them see patience, oh God, that only you can give, God. Let them see kindness, oh Lord. God, let them see love, Lord. God, let them see your love within me, Lord. Let them see joy, God. When the circumstances of life don't go my way, God. When things don't go my way, Lord, and happiness might be stripped away for a moment, my joy still remains, God. Let them see that joy, God, that only the Spirit can give. God, I pray tonight, Lord, God, that you would help every individual in this room, God, to strive, God, to put aside the flesh, Lord, and to crucify the flesh, Lord, God, and to live, God, and to be led by the Spirit, Lord. God, that we hear what you have to say, God, and we follow after you, O oh Lord. God, that everything we do, God, in this life, God, God, that your stamp of approval is upon it, Lord. God, because we're being led by you, Lord, and that your spirit is leading and guiding us, God. God, I pray it tonight, Lord, in this place right now, Lord. God, that there might be those, God, that maybe they need to make that recommitment unto you, God. And maybe we need to lay down the flesh tonight. God, crucify the flesh right now. Come on, can you pray that? God, I crucify my flesh tonight. God, I lay down my desires and my passions, Lord. God, I want to lay those things down tonight, God, in this place and leave them here. God, because I want to hear your voice every day, God. God, I want to hear your leading and guiding, Lord, every day, God. I want to take the path that you're on, Lord. God, I want to do, God, what is pleasing unto you, Jesus. God, I want to live holy, Lord. God, I want an acceptable life unto you, Lord. God, seeking after righteousness, Lord. God, I want to be like you, God. I want to be more like you, Jesus. I want to be more like you, oh God.